be quiet for a second. Thank you, Father, for being here. Just pray now that you would be with me as I bring this message from your word. Open the ears and the hearts of those who will hear it so that they might truly receive it. And I ask this in your son's name. Amen. Well, before, uh, it seems a bit loud. It's kind of ringing a little bit, Nick. Uh, before we pray over this week's offering, I just want to remind everyone that we've got a number of different ways that you can, can give to the church. Um, we've got some boxes there at the back where you can uh, just put a uh, check or whatever you'd like in that if you're here. Um, those are this, this is one of the low-tech options. Um, or you can just actually mail a check, another low-tech option. Or... We have some high-tech options. Um, we've got these QR codes that are on the back of most of the chairs that you can scan with your phone and takes you to a website that uh, will help you uh, from that point. You could go to our website directly. Uh, we have a smartphone app that you can use that allows you to give as well as a lot of other things. It's a great way to kind of stay in touch with what's going on at the church. And then, of course, we have our text-to-give option as well. So. Just those are some of the ways that we just wanted to, I just wanted to highlight today just to let everybody know. So we're just going to pray over the offering and, uh, and then get into our message. So let's pray. Uh, Lord God, I just uh, thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that we can always trust in you. You are an abundant God, and out of your great love and your mercy, you have given us so much. And so as an act of our heartfelt gratitude, we give to you our tithes and our offerings. With them, we worship you, and we acknowledge your blessings upon us. Please now take them and use them for your kingdom and your glory. Extend and multiply their reach and their influence. May they be a great blessing to many. And we ask all this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Now, this past Wednesday, I think most of you probably were aware, was Ash Wednesday. Uh, you can always tell when Lent is coming because Mardi Gras <laughs> happens right before it. Um, and Ash Wednesday is traditionally known as the beginning of Lent. And so starting today and sort of continuing until Palm Sunday, which is the, the Sunday before Easter, we're going to be doing this Lenten series called Grounding. And... Um, 
as a way to kind of prepare ourselves for Easter, the, the series is going to sort of encourage you to find your grounding, what grounds you, by contemplating your sinfulness and sort of preparing yourself to see the significance of God's loving sacrifice when we celebrate that at Easter. But before we get into that, I just wanted to take a moment to talk a little bit about what Lent is and what Lent is not, all right? Because that's a term we throw around and not everybody always understands it. Uh, so what exactly uh, is Lent? Well, Lent is a tradition that actually began in the Catholic Church, but it's also practiced by a lot of Protestants all around the world. And Lent is really nothing more than a way to remind ourselves of the value of repentance as we reflect on the foundational truth of our faith, that we are all sinners in need of a savior. And it's also an opportunity to go deeper with God. A lot of people use Lent as a way to uh, do a lot more personal reflection. Uh, they may increase their prayer. They may, may start to do some fasting. And then another aspect of Lent is just doing good for others whether that's um, giving or service or any num one of a number of ways uh, that, uh, that you can do that. So that's what Lent is. What Lent is not is, first of all, it's not a requirement. It's not a sacrament. It's not something that you have to do. You have to participate in. Um, it's not a way to obtain God's blessing. You're not going to be any more blessed or loved by, you know, sacrificing something for Lent than you were if you didn't. Um, and this kind of goes to my childhood. It's not an opportunity to avoid eating your vegetables for seven weeks. <laughs> because growing up in the Catholic Church, we always had, we were instructed that we had to give something up, and I was always lobbying for peas or something like that. Um, that never seemed to go over well, and so it ended up being something I really liked, like ice cream or whatever. Um, so, that's not... That's really not what Lent's about. Um, took me years to figure that out, though. So that, with that as a background, uh, let's go into the first installment of this particular Lenten series. We're going to look at something that is generally not anyone's favorite subject, and that's discipline. And so uh, we're going to look and see what the author of Hebrews has to say uh, about this subject of dif discipline, as we're in a moment here, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, the first 11 verses. So Hebrews 12, 1 through 11. Um, now, just as a little aside, up until probably about the third century, the church traditionally held that Paul was the author of the book of Hebrews. But from the third century on, that authorship has been disputed. Um, we really don't know exactly who wrote it, and scholars have been studying this for years. Uh, so for the rest of the message, I'll just be referring to, to whomever as the author. Okay? So Hebrews 12, starting with verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. All right. So the author of Hebrews here is talking about discipline. And as I was reading through this, I was trying to figure out, okay, exactly what, what's, what, what, what's being said here, right? We're talking about discipline, but what's the focus here? And after I really kind of looked at it for a while, I really felt like what the author of Hebrews is sort of showing us here or telling us is that there are two types of discipline and you need both types to successfully run the race that is the Christian life. Okay, there's two types of discipline and you need both of them. So the obvious question that is before us is, well, what are the two types? And, and what, what's that all about? Well, the first half of this particular verse talks about discipline that you impose upon yourself, self-discipline, right? And then the second half, he's talking about discipline that is imposed upon you by others. All right, we're going to pursue that a little bit more here. So let's break those down a little bit. So first of all, there's this discipline that you impose upon yourself. Now, it probably goes without saying, but I will say it anyway, that nothing worthwhile is ever achieved without this type of discipline. Right? This is the kind of discipline that took a, a skinny, clumsy, awkward high school freshman and enabled him to become a four-year starter at a Division I college basketball team. That was me. Uh, growing another five inches didn't hurt either, <laughs> but um, that wasn't, that's not what it's all about. This is the discipline that you need to finish your homework. It's the discipline you need when all you want to do is stay in bed. It's the discipline you need to get up and to go exercise on a cold morning. It's the discipline to take classes that advance your career and so on. And so this self-imposed self discipline is what the author is talking about in these first several verses of chapter 12. The author says that we're to throw off everything that hinders. Right? This is anything that drags us down that keeps us from performing our best. When I was thinking about this, the thought that occurred to me, have you ever seen guys in the gym or guys out running on the road wear those training vests? They're weighted, right? And I guess in some of them, you actually, there's slots where you can put different amounts of weight in them. We actually wore ankle weights when I was training in high school. Um, I don't think they really recommend that anymore. But these training vests add an additional amount of weight uh, so that as you 
run or do other things, it's making, you know, obviously strengthening your legs and everything else, which is great when you train, but actually when it comes time to run the race, you certainly don't want to be carrying any extra weight. And the thing is that sometimes this hindrance that Scripture's talking about can actually be an okay thing, but for you, at this particular time, it might be a weight. If TV consumes a lot of your time, maybe you could try going without it for a while. If shopping is a stress relaxer for you, maybe try something else. Try dropping those kinds of things for a while and then check the results and see, you know, did that make a difference? Do you, because people will say, well, I feel far away from God, but yet they have all these other things that are occupying their time, which in and of themselves are not bad things necessarily, but they are in the sense that they're hindering uh, a relationship with God. Next, the author tells us to throw off the sin that so easily entangles. This could be any thought, any attitude, any practice, which somehow impedes our progress in the Christian life. So let me give you an example of this, and I'll give it to you by way of a question. Do you believe that prayer really works? Because if you don't pray very much, or you don't pray about all kinds of things, large and small, you probably don't really believe that prayer can make a difference. So it's one thing to say, oh yeah, I believe in prayer. How often do you pray? What do you pray about? You see, when you have Jesus and Paul and James and all these other New Testament authors all telling us that we're supposed to pray and you don't, then that's a sin that has entangled you and you need to throw it off. Then the author says that we're supposed to run with perseverance. I think perseverance is actually the positive side of shedding those unnecessary burdens. Perseverance is perhaps the key, ing- key ingredient in discipline. It's, it implies endurance. It implies the overcoming of difficulties. Running with perseverance is the determination to praise God when you don't feel like it. Running with perseverance is the determination to keep praying when it doesn't seem like it's having any effect. Running with perseverance is the determination to forgive someone who hurts you while you still feel the sting of the blow. We're also to discipline ourselves when we don't lose sight of the goal. See, that's part of it too. We're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus. And the underlying Greek word that is behind this idea of fixing your eyes on something really suggests the impossibility of looking in two different directions at the same time. All right, so it's where sometimes the underlying languages uh, are so much richer than what we have in English, right? This idea of fixing your eyes um, and the the concept of you can't look in two directions at the same time. 
And I don't think it's a coincidence that the author in this instance, in this verse, uses the human name of God, Jesus, for that name suggests the perfect human goal that we're aiming for. And it was in that humanity that Jesus was the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus knew what the end game was going to look like. He knew it was beyond horrible. And yet he never wavered in his decision and in his mission of what he was to accomplish. So as we run the race of our life, which is the title of this sermon, Running the Race of Your Life, we need to impose upon ourselves this discipline of throwing off hindrances, of getting rid of any entangling sin that is uh, holding us up, to run with perseverance, and to never lose sight of the goal. Okay, those are the things that we can control. Those are the things that sort of go into this larger category of self-discipline. But then, there is also this discipline that is imposed upon you by others. See, self-discipline is really not so bad because it's self-imposed, right? We kind of can control it. In other words, we can choose to do it or not. Now, if you don't care about losing weight, for example, you can just eat whatever you want. doesn't matter. Now, your doctor may not agree with that approach. He may reason with you, maybe even get a little more beyond reason and, and very sternly tell you that you need to lose weight, but they can't make you do it, right? You, are, you and you alone are the only one that really has the power to do that. That's the power of self-discipline. But there's this other type of discipline that you don't get to choose. Right? It comes from above you in some sense. Because whoever is imposing the discipline upon you has got to have the power and the authority to do so. And so when it comes to this type of discipline, I think most of us probably think immediately of a parent-child relationship. Now good parents, and hopefully everyone had good parents, but they're the ones that provide training and instruction and discipline for their children. Now, I think everyone's probably seen the result of poor parenting. Uh, parents who maybe don't take this duty quite so seriously. Um, these are the children that you see running around that they've never learned any limits. They've never discovered the meaning of the word no. The word no has never been backed up with any kind of an appropriate restraint. See, and children who are raised in this way can actually be a menace and a nuisance to a lot of other people and to themselves as well. And they're very unlikely to grow up as happy, healthy, well-rounded people who are able to you know, sustain proper adult relationships. And so I think the author is telling us in these verses that it's this parental model of discipline that is exactly the type of discipline that God imposes upon us. See, because he's treating us as sons and daughters. And so because of that, he refuses to spoil us or to ignore us. He's going to refuse to let us to get away forever with rebellion or folly or sin or stupidity. He has these ways of alerting his children to the fact that 
okay, look, you, you need to sort of step back and maybe rethink that before you move forward. Or maybe you just need to go in the opposite direction. Or maybe you just need to get down on your knees and repent right now. But what are some of the ways that God does that? Well, I think in verse 7, the author tells us that hardship can be a disciplinary measure that's used by God. And hardship could really be defined as a condition where you don't have the necessities or the comforts. Uh, there may be some suffering involved. could be a thing or a circumstance that causes ongoing or persistent suffering or difficulty. Those are all hardships. You might say, well, what kind of hardship is God going to impose upon me? Well, I would turn around and say, well, that's entirely dependent upon you. What lessons haven't you learned yet? What mistakes do you keep making over and over and over again? Who is it that you will not forgive? Which of God's commandments do you refuse to obey? Those are all areas where hardship could suddenly come into your life as God's means of trying to discipline you to get past whatever issue is, is, at, is, is at root. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter is quoting from Leviticus where God is saying, Be holy because I am holy. And the author parallels that thought in verse 10 here of our uh, scripture today when he talks about sharing in God's holiness. See, sometimes we don't really understand what that word means. You know, we think holy, okay, halo, nice aura about them, sort of floating around. You know, there's that weird idea that I think a lot of people have about holiness. Well, in, in the biblical sense, all holiness means is really being set apart. It means set apart and to be used for something that is sacred as opposed to something that's pagan or common. Common's probably the better word here. Standing apart from sin and evil and being more characteristic of God. Right? And that's God's goal for us. And I think sometimes we can be aware of our common use, how we're being used com commonly, and then we can use the first type of discipline. We impose that kind of discipline on ourselves so that we can get past that. But sometimes I think we're either unaware of our common use or we're aware of it, but we're unwilling to change it. And that's when God, like a good parent, will impose his discipline upon you as a means of drawing you closer to himself and to make you a better resemblance of his son. Now, it may be unpleasant. It may be hard. But the thing is, we can take comfort in knowing that God has a purpose in it. That he's not doing it out of meanness or out of spite, which unfortunately is sadly how many really bad parents choose to invoke this And that thought really kind of brings us to my conclusion and to this really good news that is sandwiched in between these two explanations of discipline. We're going to look back at verses 5 and 6 again. And it says this, 
And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. So the author's using this word forgot obviously implies that there's something that they should know. And in this case, it's Proverbs 3, 11, and 12, which he then goes on to quote. And this quotation teaches us that when the Lord disciplines his people, some are indifferent to it. Others get overwhelmed by it. And then others rejoice in it. See, those that get indifferent to it or maybe those who are in danger of ignoring or just dismissing the fact that God's sovereign hand is at work in their life. And that it can be just as much at work in adversity as it can in the joys and the pleasures. See, we're quick to give God praise. Yeah, praise you, Lord, I got raised. Praise you, God, I got a new car. Praise, right? Nobody ever goes, praise you, God, for this suffering. Yay. But that's a reality. That sometimes God will use those circumstances to, to bring you to a point that is closer to him. The tough part is to ask God. See, I've learned we are never, when something like that happens to us, you never ask God. God, why? Why is probably the worst question in the world you could ask? Because you won't get an answer to it. Try. I think a far better question is, God, what is it that you want me to learn in the midst of this suffering? That's a question you'll get an answer to. Then there are people that just get overwhelmed and they lose heart. Right? They get so weighed down by their troubles, they get despondent, um, and they're just, they're absolutely sure that the Lord has forsaken them, that he's just decided, ah, oh, you're, you're hopeless. I'm done with you. Be gone. And it's a great mistake to react that way. Because the God who tests us is the God who helps us. And the God who says, I will never give you more than you can handle. And then finally, that, fi that third reaction is to be joyful. And those are the ones that understand that God loves them like a son or a daughter. You see, Jesus told his disciples that they should expect nothing less than the troubles that befell him. And that these sufferings prove that through faith in Jesus, we all belong and are part of God's family. Nobody likes this corrective ministry part of God's discipline. But it does verify his love for us. And it verifies our relationship to him. Which is not as acquaintances, not as an in-law, not as cousins, but as sons and daughters. 
Let's pray. Father, we all desire to run a good race. And we understand that in order to do that, it takes discipline. There are ways that we need to discipline ourselves and there are ways that you must discipline us for those blind spots that we tend to have about our own behavior. So Lord, I just pray that you would open us up to see those things for what they are. That you would first of all give us the willpower and give us the encouragement that's needed to discipline ourselves but then also give us the patience and the endurance to see that when something bad is happening to us that it could ultimately be from you and it could be a way of, your, of you trying to get our attention, of you trying to help us overcome some aspect of our life that we just can't do on our own. So we give you thanks and praise for that, Lord, as hard as that is sometimes. And as we think about the hardship that we are sometimes forced to endure, let us never forget the hardship that you endured for us. That we remember that on the night that you were to be betrayed, you took bread and you broke it and you gave it to your disciples and you said take this all of you and eat for this is my body given for you and when the supper was almost ended you took the cup and again gave his father thanks and praise this too he shared with his disciples and said take this all of you and drink for this is the cup of my blood the blood of the new and everlasting sacrifice blood that was shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. So whenever you eat of this bread or drink of this cup, do so and remember me. So Father, I thank you for this reminder of the hardship that you endured on our behalf and that we might look to that hardship when going through times of trouble ourselves realize that as our text today said no one has asked us to shed blood that this hardship is really nothing in comparison to what you did for us so we ask you now that you would consecrate this meal in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that you would make it to be for us your body and blood body of Jesus given for you. And the blood of Jesus shed for you. Pastor Chip to come up now and to uh, close our service.
Every head bowed, every eye closed. some prayer requests online as well. I'm going to pray for those first. Father, we lift up what Cindy online posted, Lord. We do pray for our nation, that it would come together, that it would be unified, not under a political party, but under the cross. Father, we lift up Brandy's prayer request, Lord, that her friend would come to know Jesus. Father, no one's too far from you. No one is. Lord, the people that seem like they'll never come to you are the people that end up serving you the most. The people that people say, well, they're unsavable. They're the people that you just, you want to use. I know, Lord, because I was one of them. So, Lord, send someone to carry that message. If you're, if you're in the room, would you stand right now? If you're here and Pastor Jeff's message spoke to you and you're saying, I'm going through a time of discipline and I need prayer because I need to learn what I need to learn. I don't want to repeat the same thing again. I don't want to go through the same cycle again. One of these people up here will pray for you. And trust me, no one's looking at you or watching you saying, oh, they're going to get prayer. We're we're excited when we see that. If you have a physical issue, a spiritual issue, we want to pray for you. It doesn't matter how big. It doesn't matter how small. Just like Pastor Jeff said, if you believe prayer works, then you would pray and get prayer over everything. The other day, um, and I posted this on Facebook, I just got a new car after not having one for a long time. And I was going to the doctor and I get in the car and I go to start it and it would not start. <laughs> the old days, I would have said some things that aren't very nice or Christian. And by old days, I mean like a couple weeks ago. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but something occurred to me this time. I said, no devil. I said, start in Jesus' name. And then I prayed in tongues. And then the car started. I haven't had any problems since then. And you might be saying, well, that's a weird thing to pray for. It's not. Because God is so concerned with every aspect of your life. These people up here, are they're prayer warriors. They want to pray for you. They want to intercede for you. So whatever you're struggling with this morning, or whatever you need prayer for, whether it's guidance or direction, or, or healing, or freedom, or, or sleeplessness, they want to pray for you. So I'm going to pray in general, and then we're going to move into our ministry time. And also, if you feel the Lord speaking to you during this time, 
that you feel like, hey, I feel like someone is struggling with this issue in this room, let me know and we'll, we'll call it out because we believe that's how God works. This isn't just time for us to minister. Every person in the body can minister, amen? We believe that. Everybody gets to play. I think that's a vineyard thing. So I'm going to pray and then I invite you to come get prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we lift up every person in this room to you, every person online. Lord Jesus, we thank you for discipline. Lord, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for such a timely message. Father, show us what we need to learn. Make us who we need to be so we can better follow you. I just stand in awe of how much you love us. How much you love us. How we can just mess up time and time again and you'll, you'll say, I still love you, but I'm going to teach you that lesson because I want what's best. And God, we're thankful that you don't let us settle. So Father, I pray that anyone in this room who needs a touch from you would be brave, would not let the enemy hold them back, and would come get prayer. Lord, whether it's something tiny like the cat has to go to the vet, or something huge like they're losing their house or got a bad diagnosis. Because you can do anything. You can do anything. Lord, all things are possible when we believe. All things. Help us remember that, God. So as we move into our ministry time, I encourage you, don't let this be the part of church where you feel like it's time for me to leave or slip out the back. This is the part of church where you can really encounter the living God and you can really encounter his touch on a level where you can get with someone and get prayer and get ministered to on a personal level. Yes, you can encounter God during worship on a corporate level with everyone, but let's encounter him on a personal level with someone else. Lord, thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.